chooses, a slave obeys. Those are the immortal words of Andrew Ryan, who we'll be discussing in this new season of Video Gameography, covering the Bioshock series. I am your host, Marcus Stewart, embarking on a brand new era of this podcast. Uh, you know, as if you listened last season, my old co-host Ben has moved on to bigger and brighter things. But I am not alone because I have found a new partner in crime with me on this this journey of edutainment, we can call it. Because, you know, you laugh and you learn. Uh, can you introduce yourself one? John Carson. Hello, sir. Hello. Hi. I'm a hey, I'm a circus of value here. Uh, oh. You get me each and every week. Uh, to to learn about some some new video game or old video games, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, Marcus, thanks for inviting me to be your new co-host on Video Gameography. Uh, big fan of the show, big fan of the concept, um, and I'm excited to uh, talk about some Bioshock this week. Nice. You're the per- only personal nerd that has ever described themselves as a circus of value. <laughs> uh, so I hope you own that. Start wearing some creepy clown paint, something, whatever you got, uh, and of course. We have one more guest, another Game Informer associate editor, Wesley LeBlanc. How you doing, man? Hi, I'm the uh, the big daddy of today's podcast. Oh um, man! Except I'm not a dad, um, but I, I am I kind of. Call you I mean, you don't have to be a dad to be a daddy. <laughs> true, true. I'm calling. Hey, I'm calling it. HR, guys. I'm today's episode's big daddy. Okay. I guess I'm the. Oh man, who am I then? I didn't want to say little sister. I guess I could be Andrew Ryan. Do I want to be Andrew Ryan? <laughs> I don't know if there's anybody else you want to be in the world of Bioshock. Yeah, everyone there is kind of terrible, it turns out. Yeah. I'll be the plane crash. <laughs> I'll be the airplane. I'll be the lighthouse. The there lighthouse is objectively okay, I think. But if someone's the, there's, a, there's a lighthouse, uh, there's always a city, and there's always a big daddy. There's, yep, always. And so, yes, if this is your first time tuning into Video Gameography, this is a series where we discuss the development history and the lore of a game franchise, with each episode covering an individual game in that franchise. Season 4 is going to cover Bioshock, so we'll be talking about Bioshock 1, 2, and Infinite. Uh, today we'll be covering the 2007 classic, one of the best games ever made, arguably the best game ever made, depending on who you talk to. I'm really excited about it, but first and foremost, I want to know what you guys' history is with Bioshock. So, John, starting with you, what what have you got for Bioshock? What do you think of it? What what's the impression that it made on you? Yeah, uh, the the first Bioshock I was super excited for. It was something very different for the the console space, which is kind of where where I got my start with games. Um, it was. Maybe the year that it came out, the year that I actually built a PC. Uh, so I was still playing this thing on on Xbox 360 when it came out. But uh, just visually very impressive, a cool art style that I hadn't really seen before in games. Uh, and playing around with like what looked like magical powers with like lightning shooting out of your hands and fire and bees and uh, all that kind of stuff. Like it brought a different vibe to shooters than the typical uh, at least at that time that was the heyday of like call of duty 3 modern warfare uh or call of duty 4 modern warfare was coming out that year so like we were kind of entrenched in world war 2 
and I guess then at that point, modern warfare shooters. Uh, so this was a, a completely different flavor, and I was super into everything that I was seeing about it. Nice. How about you, Wesley? What do you think of Bioshock? So when Bioshock came out, I remember playing it like shortly after its release, or at least I think I did. Um, I was about 12 or 13 when I played it, and so as a gamer, I was just kind of like, just buy games, play them, and talk with friends about it. Like, I didn't really interact with games media too much or have any idea that this game was very popular and getting lots of tens and stuff so i was like on you know going to junior high and telling my friends you guys this is the 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 coolest game ever made you've probably never heard of it it's called bioshock get your parents to go pick it up for you if you shoot water with lightning it electrocutes the enemies it's the greatest thing ever wait did you did you you hipster your friends like you guys probably haven't heard of this (laughs) you probably haven't heard of this let's see 12 junior high wesley (laughs) definitely yeah definitely did um and yeah and then i grew up and i was like oh i was uh not a hipster um bioshock was in fact very very popular still remains very very popular you were right though they hadn't heard of it yeah (laughs) passing out copies of ayn rand's books to your 12 year old friends saying we should probably read up on this me being the library just a couple three thousand pages i've got some mind-blowing stuff for you (laughs) yeah when i was 12 i was playing i was probably it would have been like 1999 so i don't know metal gear solid one maybe i was still playing that at the time uh basically about halo you definitely know halo halo wasn't a thing Uh, no reading about it oh reading about it yeah i would have been looking at the oh yeah final fantasy yeah i would have been staring at a dreamcast going wow look at that thing look at that whale in sonic basically saying you're making us feel old wesley (laughs) i'm sorry every day (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's awesome yeah i um i didn't play bioshock until it came to the ps3 which was i believe the following year in 08 uh yeah. just because i didn't have a 360 at the time uh so i was uh chomping at the bit to get to it because i got the game informer cover story i remember just pouring through it thinking it sounded amazing and being really bummed out that i couldn't play it on pc or xbox and just pretty much crossing my fingers that it would come to playstation one day uh and it eventually did and yeah, like everyone else, I loved it. It's still one of my favorite games ever. I think it's one of the best games of that generation. And it's just, you know, going back to it for this podcast maybe appreciate it more because I've only ever played it once. And that's just because I only play video games once and just kind of move on, even if it's something I love. But going back to it, you know, it made me really appreciate just the the imagination behind it uh you know just solidifying again that rapture is one of my favorite locations in in any video game um and also just how well it still holds up like it's got some age on it for sure but like the the dual wielding of powers and and melee and guns and how much fun it is to get new abilities and also just to interact with that world from just an environmental storytelling standpoint uh it still is some of the best (laughs) examples of that you'll see in any game uh, so yeah, Bioshock was uh, was quite a a revolution of sorts for for some aspects of, of game design and just video game fandom. So yeah, we're gonna cast our minds back to 2007, which if you listen to all of the other seasons of video gameography, it's a year we have covered quite extensively. We are on, we're on a streak where we're, uh, this is the fourth season in a row that has had a game release in 2007 because 2007. One of the greatest gaming years of all time, arguably the best gaming year of all time. So if you're tired of hearing about it, 
I got, I'm sorry, got nothing for you because it's one. Too bad. Yeah. If only you were around for 2007, which I don't think anyone <laughs> listening is old enough to be. Well, mm, hmm. actually, yeah, I might be old enough to say, yeah. like, I wasn't alive in 2007. <laughs> I guess you'd be like 15 ish. 15, yeah. 14, 15, you'd have to be. Wow. That's yeah. making me feel old. There, mm-hmm. there you go. Finally. <laughs> we're even. <laughs> so some of the big games that came out in 2007, besides Bioshock, of course, uh, the first Assassin's Creed, the first Uncharted, the first Mass Effect, Super Mario Galaxy, Metroid Prime 3, Call of Duty 4, Modern Warfare, God of War 2, The Orange Box, Rock Band, just, you know. Crisis. Like, it yeah. just goes on and on and on. Uh, I guess a quick question for, for each of you, now that you've heard that list. What's your favorite 2007 game? Man, that would have been before I was tracking Game of the Year. Cause I didn't start like really taking note and writing it down until I think 2009. Sure. Uh, man, probably it's weird because you it's if you're going by hindsight today than what you were yeah. your mind at the time. I would almost maybe wonder, and as some of these I didn't play in 07. Maybe I played the next year, but. Mm-hmm. God of War 2 was up there for me because I was a huge God of yes. War fan and yeah. I, I thought that game was fantastic. Uh, so it might be that one. And even it's weird to that's even hard to say now, right? Like if I'm yeah. doing hindsight of like playing all these games since then, maybe not necessarily in 07, uh, stuff like Mass Effect gets bumped up. The Orange Box purely for Portal mm-hmm. <laughs> is maybe yep. up there for sure. What about you, Wes? If I go back to 2007, Wesley's answer definitely would have been uh, Modern Warfare because, you know, that's kind of the one that took the world by storm. All my friends had it. We played every night. I can still remember, like, spending hours late into the night on school nights trying to get headshots so I can unlock a camo for some assault rifle. Like, that just, that game devoured any free time I had. Um, It was school, go home, link up with friends, play Call of Duty till dinner play later in the night my mom yells at me tells me to turn it off i still keep playing because i'm bad and then uh yeah rinse and repeat were you the 12 year old cursing me out that one time i played online <laughs> really laid into me no i apologize Wes. i was uh i had friends who definitely got angry but i was the the tone one in the group you know i, yeah. I had my mom in the room next door so <laughs> there was no uh screaming profanities or no, uh, yelling. whispering whispering threats <laughs> through suck. xbox live in a way that's even scarier <laughs> Uh, I I would probably have to go with either in hindsight I I feel like Mario Galaxy for me at the time was a little bit underwhelming uh, Hmm. but I think that's one of one of the bright one of the brightest spots of of 2007 Uh, but other than that yeah God of War 2 really just scratching that uh, that edgelord itch (laughs) from when I was like gosh I was 20 at that point so yeah that was uh the perfect time for a God of War to you and uh, Ratchet and Clank future tools of destruction. Uh, that's when I was really getting into my Ratchet and Clank phase and uh, <laughs> really, really loved that, that debut on, on PS3 for them. Yeah, it's a great game. Some of the big films that came out that year as well. We've got uh, Spider-Man three, everyone's favorite Spider-Man of the Raimi trilogy from what I yeah. remember. Uh, mm-hmm. we got no country for old men. Uh, I think most people consider a modern classic perfect movie. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. Uh, Juno, another big one. Uh, mm-hmm. The uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest. We got uh, Ratatouille was that year. No one remembers this but me, but that animated Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles film was that year. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the one nobody talks about. 
TMNT. Yeah, it was just called TMNT. Yeah, yeah that was good. Mm-hmm. That was all right. Yeah, I say it, it did the thing. Yeah, it was been turtle films are still pretty decent. That's why I bring it up. Mm-hmm. I don't like those Michael Bay films, guys. Uh, they're not. They're not great. But <laughs> yeah, what do you do? Yeah. And just some of the big uh, world events that happened that year, of course, uh, the iPhone was uh, revealed and released. Uh, Queen Elizabeth II became the oldest ever reigning British monarch in history and is still going to this day. We had the WikiLeaks situation where they leaked the uh, what was going on in Guantanamo Bay. And uh, Pablo Picasso's painting a portrait of Suzanne Block along with uh, Can- Ooh, Candido. Portinari's O Lavardar de Cafe. I pronounced all of that flawlessly. Perfect. Uh, were stolen yeah. <laughs> from the Sao Paulo Museum of Art. And I don't what? know if they were ever recovered. Maybe they're still missing to this day. Maybe I have it hanging behind me. Who can say? I'll never tell. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, 2007, memorable year. Uh, it's when we learned Julian Assange's name. Who's that? It, it, uh, the guy, the guy who founded WikiLeaks. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> as, as I just proved that, or that, I didn't that know his no name. I his thought name. it was his name was John WikiLeaks. I thought that was just his last. That's name. it. Yeah. That's it. Um, Mr. His alias online. He's he's uh, a cousin to Zach and WikiLeaks. Oh, that was the sequel. I got yes. canceled mm-hmm. because this happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it was it was a little too hot at the time. It was leaked. <laughs> yeah. And just um, so I thought it'd be cool if we also shared maybe uh, like a fun personal fact about ourselves from 2007. Uh, I can go first. I, there was a time where I, I almost met Johnny Depp because I worked with a lady that was friends with her family, uh, like her, really her, her husband, because he used to be a bodyguard for celebrities. And, and during this job, uh, became good friends with Johnny Depp's father, who resides in Florida, or at least he did 15 years ago. I don't know if that's still the case. Um, but she was telling me that, oh, yeah, him and Johnny, they come to our house for dinners on occasion. And, you know, in my head, I'm like, yeah, I don't know if I believe that. But then she showed me some photographs and, you know, can't dispute photos. Those can't be manipulated. Uh, <laughs> so one time she invited me to meet him. She's like, oh, yeah, he's in town right now. Do you want to, like, swing by and you just say hi or something? And I was in community college at the time. I think I only recently started and I had a big exam and I was so goody two shoes like well i can't miss my exam not like there's such a thing as makeup tests or anything uh and you know this once in a lifetime opportunities in front of me well i gotta abandon that because i gotta get an a on biology or whatever i was doing and so i Look, turned her down and to this did you just get like johnny depp to write you in a note saying that you want to go meet him i would have taken if i was a smarter human in 2007 <laughs> i would have gone there sure, i'll write it i just need you to sign it <laughs> i would have taken a picture and then like gotten a written note too and showed the pictures <laughs> to my teacher but like sorry couldn't take the test because i was busy doing this and then just like would have shoved it in her face <laughs> and like you went to universal studio like what are you trying to prove to me right now sir <laughs> yeah, like, oh you met uh gilbert grape <laughs> yes uh, what's eating him these days You're like ah uh, you know like yeah Leonardo DiCaprio was not there this time I'm, I'm sorry <laughs> so yeah that's a stupid thing that happened to me once what about you Wesley um I guess keeping with the Johnny Depp um my birthday uh is July 7th and it came out the same it just Pirates of the Caribbean 2 came out the same day as my birthday and so me and a bunch of my friends went and saw that movie on my birthday and it's a um favorite of mine still to this day um no johnny depp sighting in real life obviously he was on screen but um 
yeah, he wasn't there, sadly. Nice. Not a very good birthday, I guess. <laughs> Wes is crying <laughs> right now. You guys can't see this. <laughs> Tears are streaming down his face. Uh... I, I don't want any any uh, corporate repercussions from this. I feel like we're outside the statute of, li- of limitations. Statute of limitations? Anyways, uh, but 2007 was, I think, the first year that I worked for GameStop. Uh, I was uh, I was a a uh, retail associate um, working part time. I was also that was my moonlighting gig while I was working at the Best Buy uh, basically across the street. Uh, so huge conflict of interest there. But um, yeah, that was, that was the first time I was uh, employed by GameStop. Obviously, I am in a different capacity now. Uh, but yeah, that was a memorable year, especially with, with all these releases. It, it definitely sticks out as me uh, slinging those those uh, pre-orders and Game Informer subscriptions. Did you ever, like, get mad at one of them and then go full, like, NWO reveal of, like, oh, yeah? And then you rip <laughs> off your shirt to reveal the opposite place of shirt underneath, like, uh, screw pretty- you, Best Buy, I'm with GameStop <laughs> now. And you pull your shirt off and everyone's like, what? <laughs> Grab a toothpick throw it at someone that's right you, hey you yo the bad i'm guy. going back to my other job yeah that was, a, that was a weird time i think one of one of my basically i, I think both of my managers knew and one of them was just like we just can't really do this anymore because <laughs> <laughs> some someone's gonna get in trouble and it's it's gonna be it's gonna go uphill so uh yeah so you're, i had to you're gonna bring best buy leave. down to its knees please please stop. That, that's it that was it oh, yep okay. which one did you leave or have to leave. Oh yeah, who'd you? Pick? I, I, who'd you I, I left GameStop uh, because wow. Best Buy had. I mean, I was working in computers at Best Buy. It was just more fun uh, for me. There was there was a lot more uh, room to stretch my legs and walk around the store and more people to talk to. That is true. Um, and I think I was I think I was just paid more there too. Yeah, so those blue shirts are pretty yeah. nice. They're pretty nice. True. They're nice and breathable. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, uh, I get to hang out for like the the Wii launch and the PS3 launch and all that kind of stuff. It was pretty cool at Best, at Best Buy. Like, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Well, righty. Now that that's out of the way, now that we've set the table for 2007, yes. let's dive into it. Let's talk about the development history of Bioshock. John, do you want to kick us off? Yeah. Uh, so I don't think we can really talk about bioshock without talking about its its lineage so uh obviously bioshock was created by uh ken levine uh who is uh he was he was a game developer for many years before uh he created bioshock he originally wanted to pursue a film career uh he actually wrote two screenplays uh but uh ended up in the game industry with looking glass studios in 1995 uh, there he worked on uh, games like Thief um, and, and establishing the fiction for that series. Um, and Looking Glass Studios is also known for its System Shock franchise, uh, which is kind of where Bioshock gets a lot of its identity from, or at least like it's, it's the skeleton of what it does. So uh, System Shock is kind of a, a futuristic atmospheric first-person shooter rpg that uh kind of broke the mold for shooters in its time i believe system shock 2 came out in 1999 
And after that, Ken Levine took a couple other people from Looking Glass, uh, Jonathan Che and Robert Fermier, and uh, created Irrational Games, which is the studio that, that ended up creating Bioshock a few years later. Yeah, They did make other games like uh, Tribes Vengeance, the Freedom uh, Force series, which is like a, a real-time strategy superhero uh, franchise that I hear is really good. I never really had the chance to play it, though. I remember I would hear it in passing, and I would always confuse it with Fighting Force, which was PlayStation 1 polygonal beat-em-ups that I maybe the only person on Earth really liked, or at least that first one. It also reminds me of, what was the LucasArts game that was also Free, Freedom Fighters? Free yes yes which which was another like shooter like kind of off the wall shooter uh from from lucas arts those always get get mixed up for me as what well what was the one for i looked it up what is the 2003 freedom fires from io io mm -hmm. interactive pre i think that's it hitman ea published it maybe that's it i don't know yeah Generic anyways, name, but <laughs> anyway, yeah, right. did you guys uh, um, play System Shock 2 at all? Because I've never played it. I've owned it from like good old games for years because I was a Bioshock fan and because System Shock 2 has a reputation for being one of the most influential games of all time. And I've always wanted to go back to it, but just haven't. They're remaking uh, like System Shock 1 is being remade by Night Dive. And then System yes. Shock 3 is... Uh, up in the air, we'll say. <laughs> yeah, which is which is yeah. uh, is System Shock is System Shock Three also being handled by Night Dive? They have the IP, and okay. then they gave it to well, they gave permission to um, Warren Specter, Warren Specter, yeah, other side, I think. And then he recently said, like last week, I think that um, Tencent has that now, and they have nothing to do with it. And um, right. <laughs> it's been, they haven't worked on it since 2019. You know, it's been three years and we haven't heard a thing. So I think it's fair to say that game's uh, in development hell. Yeah. Just as elusive as the Bioshock franchise yeah. these days. <laughs> it's only because Ken even, he pitched System Shock 3 years and years, decades ago before jumping to Bioshock. But I think he pitched it to EA and they turned him down because System Shock 2 didn't sell that well. So, yeah. it's, you know, Criti critically acclaimed, but yeah, did not have the sales numbers behind it. and at the end of the day these are all businesses they're all trying to make money so they if they can't justify spending that cash on a cool shooter yeah system shock three long history of not happening <laughs> um but two hasn't really been touched that much since it released you know it's been ported a few times but that's about it um have you guys played it at all and what do you think of it i think i've booted it up a couple of times and every time i do it's a little bit too dated for my tastes and I just can't <laughs> for like, that's my roadblock immediately. I, like, Oh, I'll, I'll catch this another day when I'm feeling more up to uh, the obtuse nature of, of late nineties shooters. And I just never really dive into it. I've watched speed runs and stuff and it looks, it looks very interesting. And obviously it's a uh, companion slash antagonist. Uh, Shonan really uh, stands out and is, is memorable. Or it's like, People people know of that character without playing that game. Yeah, uh, it's 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 a it's a very uh, storied character. Yeah, I played System Shock two probably in like twenty fifteen. Years and years later, after Bioshock, I built a PC and I've always wanted to play System Shock two because I loved Bioshock. 
And I was like, let's go back to where it kind of started, um, I guess with Ken Levine specifically. And um, yeah, kind of like John said, it's not easy to play. There are a lot of mods though that do make it easier and I was able to get through it. Um, and yeah, it is very Bioshocky, or I guess Bioshock is very system shocky, obviously. Um, to the point, like, I mean, you start the game with a, it's not a wrench, but it's the equivalent of whatever you'd use in space. Um, kind of like Bioshock. Space wrench. Yeah. Yeah, space wrench. Space wrench. And um, yeah, Shodan, she's a really cool AI. There's big twists and stuff that you come to expect in, you know, these Bioshock games. It's The DNA is very much there. And um, if you play it, you'd be like, huh, I see now. I see the through line. I apologize for uh, mispronouncing Shodan. <laughs> Or oh, did you earlier? I think I, I, sh- think I called her Shonan. Shonan, the oh. technological Shonan barbarian. Jump, yeah. <laughs> oh, I love reading Shodan jump every every month. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Me too. Me too. That's that's a joke for two people. <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, Marcus, you kind of went over the next part. Like Levine pitched it to TEA. He pitched uh, uh, System Shock Three. They said it's a no go just because of. The, uh, the amount of money that System Shock 2 brought in. So he had to go back to the drawing board and figure out a way to uh, rebuild that type of game, but in a more popular <laughs> franchise, uh, like a, a more popular genre. Yeah. Like, yes, yes, System Shock had shooting elements, but he wanted to go harder into uh, the the first person shooter realm because that is what was making money at that point. Yeah, um, it's weird because that was like early two thousands too, where um, you know stuff like I guess at that point the big shooters would have been like what still Doom, like some still Doom and Quake carryover, Half Life, you know, like the earlier Call of Duties, Medal yeah. of Honor, yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, like the really early Call of Duties. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean it was more the I'd say the PC shooters were were breaking out yeah. than the console shooters because with console shooters you had what some some uh like outside of Halo. Games. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like Halo would have been the big thing at the time for the console for right, cuz right. like um then Levine he made the first demo for BioShock in 2002 on the original yes. Xbox uh he was using Unreal 2 at the time and you know it was set on a spaceship like it was pretty much him kind of diving back into the system shock well let's put it in space let's get some aliens in here uh the original protagonist was a guy named Carlos Coelho Coelho C-U-E-L-L-O and eventually that was abandoned because it just felt too you know too much of the same too video gamey uh there's a term that Levine used in one of the uh, making of documentaries like it just felt like okay we've done this before and also it's a little bit uh bland so how do we how do we change this up and you know levine had always had an interest in uh the work of ayn rand very famous author wrote uh books probably most famous book is atlas shrugged um but the book that levine uh, specifically quoted the most for bioshock's inspiration is a book called the fountainhead that he's really into at the time uh he has a quote where um excuse me, in the making of documentary, he says, I've always been interested in Ayn Rand and her crazy utopian view of this extreme capitalism and what that could bring about if it were a focused celebration of the individual versus society, which pretty much sums up, uh, at the very least, like not even Rapture, but the, you know, the Andrew Ryan character before he was conceived, 
And by the time they kind of formally started development on Bioshock, the team had only like six people at Irrational before. It's very small. Before it, so when when they were developing this game, um, 2K bought the studio. So or Take Take Two, I guess, is the parent company, but it was under 2K Games. And once uh, the studios purchased, and they kind of got like the the greater green light to continue with Bioshock, then the the uh, amount of people working on the game exploded to like fifty people or something. Yeah, like fifty, sixty, something like that. Yeah. They also changed the name uh, a few years later to Two K Boston, which Irrational mm-hmm. was only known as Two K Boston pretty much just for the first Bioshock, like from the development yeah. to a couple years after it launched. Like by the time Bioshock Two came out they had reverted back to Irrational. So it's like that weird pocket <laughs> in their history where they went by a name that nobody really remembers. And I had forgotten about till I fired up the collection and saw that 2K Boston thing fly on screen. I feel Everybody like that's had a Boston accents for two years. And then <laughs> yeah, they, they had just to. dropped them. <laughs> they could only eat Boston baked beans and Boston cream pies. That were... they realized, like, yeah, yeah. Everyone just talked like Matt Damon and Mark Wahlberg <laughs> and the departed. <laughs> That that's kind of funny. Like that that seems like a one of those things that like a studio gets absorbed into the greater company and like it takes on their name and they succeed beyond the like their wildest dreams on on that game and they're like we're taking back our identity. Like you don't like this is this is who we are. We're irrational. Uh we're we're gonna we're gonna be this studio, not just like another cog in the machine. I wonder whose decision that was to uh, to actually bring Irrational back as as the name. Yeah, I almost wonder if it's a thing of like Bioshock was so successful that it was like a we can get away with anything sort of mentality. Right. right. Like yeah, we want okay. our name back. We made you a ton of money. Can we just be irrational? Can we go back to what we used to be? Because uh, I, I can't imagine it being as much of like a name value thing. Because like outside of like super hardcore, like PC fans, like I don't know, like the name Irrational to me wouldn't really resonate with like a more console dedicated person. You know, mm-hmm. like like I had not heard the name Irrational till Bioshock kind of came around and was yeah. announced. Uh, right. Like I knew of System Shock too, but I don't think I knew that they had worked on that or at least had people that had worked on it you know that was like looking glass that at least did the first one yeah that's that's my theory at least on that but you know the game was formally announced in 2004 so about three years before it actually came out yeah and um you know it is the as with most successful games unfortunately bioshock had a pretty rough dev cycle um a lot of that had to do with just nailing down what the look of the game would be like they kind of, like Levine seemed like he figured out what he wanted tonally and like philosophically what the game would be, but where would it take place? How would it look? He wanted it to be like open, but not an open world. Like he wanted to sort of give you the illusion that you could kind of go anywhere because he is a big stickler for, uh, for open world games that give you the sense of freedom, but you know, it's like an, or, or like, or at least they, they make it seem like you can do anything, but you really can't, even though they present it that way. Like his, his go-to quote was always the, the bridge to Jersey thing of like, Hey, if you said an open world game in New York and I can see Jersey on the horizon, why can't I go there? That's kind of annoying and limiting that right. I, I just can't, you know, you know, the reason is because video games, but still, right. <laughs> um, so that kind of what led to uh, Rapture being set underwater, because when you're underwater, 
you don't have to worry about draw distance because water is the ocean is murky right so you can only see there are certain points so players aren't going to have that expectation of why can i see further and by having everything be interior you can ha you can look out the windows and see all the other buildings but doesn't necessarily you don't have the same expectation of like oh i'm going to go to that tower away in the back you know right and all, if, all that you're really seeing is like you'll you'll see pathways that might go between buildings and maybe that's like the the way that you get over to like that's your bridge to jersey it's like oh i i can obviously see that this building is connected to another one i'll probably end up through through that that passageway at some point yeah and that's kind of where the game started to find its identity a bit was yeah. when they figured out what the setting would be and what rapture was going to be uh so once they but even after they figured out that it was going to be underwater they were still stuck on the space station thing a bit of like yeah there's <laughs> there's a lot of environments that were like very sterile and clean it still looked like a space station underwater and a lot of the uh a lot of the the enemies and inhabitants of this this version of rapture were still very much under development um like they had the this eel man character, which is like this big slimy dude um, who doesn't look like anything that that ended up in uh, in the final Bioshock. One of the the developers in the behind the scenes documentary was was just calling them Scooby Doo monsters, um, mm -hmm. which uh, is exactly if you look at the concept art for it, it, it looks exactly like that. Um, but even things like. Uh, like big daddies were once they were underwater, like big daddies were, were kind of there already. Yeah. Um, they were they one always... of the few things that really changed much. Like they came up with big diving suit tank guy pretty early and pretty much stuck with that to the end. A home run. Really? Uh, yeah. it's big threatening presence, uh, cool old school diving suit, um, uh, big drill arm. That's, you think you can't go wrong. There's gotta be a generation of players, especially younger players that, are only familiar with the concept of a diving suit because of a big daddy, right? Because nobody wears those. <laughs> those are a very of their time yes. like thing. Like, you know, obviously diving has become more sophisticated, you know, sleek scuba suits. I feel like people only see big daddy. Like, oh yeah, that's just a video game thing. Not like a thing that people would wear to <laughs> in the, in the earlier days of, or the early era of undersea exploration. <laughs> Prize. Right. They did exist. Um, and and moving from there, like uh, going on to like the little sisters, they weren't always creepy little girls. Um, they were originally uh, little like mechanical slugs that would kind of scurry along the floor of, of Rapture. Uh, they would carry the, the resource for the game, uh, Adam or Eve. Is it Eve? Uh, Eve Adam is the... is the the thing. Eve is the thing you uh, replenish your Adam with. Like the, gotcha. okay. the stuff okay. you inject in your arm to get more Adam. It's confusing once you start using all these biblical references. Um, yeah. <laughs> Andrew Ryan, reason. not subtle, yeah. turns out. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they were kind of the, the flip side of the big daddies where the big daddies, they kind of were like dive diving suit guys. They're like, okay, that's it. Whereas little sisters had multiple incarnations that were yes. all over the place. Like you mentioned the slugs were the original one and, that didn't stick around because they realized the main thing they wanted was that they wanted to do the choice mechanic of players finding these things and either saving them or harvesting them. And they realized, well, if we're going to do that, then they need, they need to care about this thing because, like, who's going to want to save a slug? Everyone's just going to harvest them. <laughs> so right. what can we come up with that will, like, create some sense of 
sympathy and uh they had like that making of documentary they were talking about monkeys and dwarf people and like hunchbacks like all these ideas that they were just just throwing at the wall and it wasn't until one of the artists just drew a creepy little girl sketch and everyone looked at it and was like that's it it's unsettling enough to fit the tone of what we're going for but still there's some humanity there where you might be like this is like a kid i don't know if i want to <laughs> i know i need the atom but maybe i can save this kid which the little sisters i forgot how yes they're unsettling but i forgot how adorable they really are in an almost like disgusting way <laughs> not that they're disgusting but just like it's almost like they're so saccharine when they're like yeah. playing around and they're really like the it's weird to say, I don't know if they're happy. I guess they think they're happy or maybe they are, but they're like the brightest light in that, in those games, right? When you see one, they're like skipping along. I, I, uh, when I replayed some of this game and killed a big daddy for the first time, I forgot that they like cry <laughs> and I felt yeah. so bad because that's they, like their, they think that's like their dad. And I think that went a long way of like, I don't want to kill this girl. I'm going to save her and take yeah. the slug out they're, of her and stuff they're really they're really the only entities in rapture that have like any form of protection uh, everything everyone else is like kind of fend for yourself uh get get your atom and plasmids and uh try to survive and and try to get get whatever goal that you're that you're aiming for in rapture yeah but but the little sisters like they can be carefree because the big daddies are protecting them yeah um and and they 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 can keep that innocence so even even if they are uh complete monsters they are <laughs> monsters little little girls uh one thing that i that i found interesting that they ended up keeping was the idea of the slugs so there are slugs that are within the little sisters that contain the atom yeah uh so and that and that's where I believe Adam actually comes from in the entire world. Like of, naturally. Of Rapture. Yeah, like naturally. that's pretty much the crux yeah. of like Rapture's economy, right? Is mm. there are the slugs. Because they're just out in the ocean, right? I think there's a part yeah. in the something of a different game where you walk through like a water tunnel or something and they're just like there, naturally. Yeah, because within the lore of the fiction, like prior when they first discovered Rapture and built it, they found those slugs. And realize like, oh, they secrete this weird stuff, like this this substance that can rewrite your DNA. And yeah. we can take that and manipulate it to where, you know, we can create that's how the plasmid spun off, right? Like, what if we took it and made you shoot bees? Cause that's useful for some reason. <laughs> just... I love that somebody was like, Hey, you see that slug secreting something over there? Uh, why don't you like take a sip of it or drink it or something? Let's see what happens. Dare <laughs> you? And then they're like, "Wait a second, this is awesome." <laughs> That's like the thing of like history, right? Like, there's always has to like, who was the person that discovered that you could drink cow juice and that it was good, like milk or like? There's someone had to test this for the first time. How many people died to figure out what plants yeah. we could eat and which ones we couldn't? Or cheese? They were like, "That milk's been back there for like years, but um, I think it's still good. Let's try it." Which like, part oh. of the chicken is good and which part is disgusting? Let's eat all of it. Yeah. And see what we think. Um, Not the hard. Thank you, part. ancestors. Yeah, you 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 died, so you literally died, so that we can live. Yeah, it, and like the idea was that you know they were, you know, Adam became so in demand that it uh, eventually they lost the means for the natural production of it, and then so they you know after the big civil war happened, you know we'll get into this more when we get to talk about the story but like yep. that's kind of what led to the big daddy little sister stuff they have to find an artificial way of re recycling it 
because it people were just so hooked on it pretty much by that point. Um, so the slugs still wound up being like even though they weren't the little sisters, they still wound up being pretty pivotal to the to yeah. the lore and, of the series. And they transformed from like mechanisms to actual slug creatures, which uh, is way grosser. Yeah, <laughs> slugs and, all. yeah, yeah. Have you eaten slugs, Wesley? Like escargot? Oh yes, yeah, I have before. It's actually uh, pretty good. Yeah, it's not bad actually. I'm yeah. I'm a pretty at least when I was in high school, I was a pretty picky eater. But um, in French class, yeah, we we had escargot a few times, and it was really good. Fried up with some garlic, mm. some butter. I've never tried it. I, I would like to. Texture's a little off-putting at first, but once you get past that, it's delicious. Yeah, yeah. I want to try it so I can get fire powers specifically. <laughs> oh sure, yeah. Uh, I'm gonna start hacking some drones with my. With my new slug powers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you mentioned before about the little sisters being the only things that had protection, and that kind of speaks to the other big thing they did with this game was uh, designing the AI for the enemies. They had something called an AI ecology where they didn't want enemies to just be guys that shoot at you and just hide yeah. when you encounter them. They wanted them to have a hierarchy, kind of like an Animal Kingdom style of like, no, they'll interact with each other. And Big Daddies will be the top of the food chain. They're the apex predator. And they, they'll they leave you alone. Like, you can walk in a room and hang out and do anything you want in the presence of a Big Daddy until you attack them. Like, you always have to be the aggressor yeah. for them, which I thought was kind of a cool twist because, you know, Big Daddy's famously very difficult fights. <laughs> uh, and But, you know, when you pick a fight with them, you almost feel like oh well i brought this on myself that i'm getting destroyed right now because i yes. decided that i needed this little girl's adam <laughs> other like this guy's trying to work and you disturb it exactly like they'll yeah like the fact that you bring this wrath upon you is i think an interesting twist and that sometimes you'll go in rooms and you'll see the splicers who you know they'll you know they'll go after you but if they're they'll go after big daddies too because they're adam addicted citizens and they're always trying to hunt the little system so it was always yeah. fun to go into a room and see like oh this big daddy's like taking on two of these splices right now sometimes you can use that to your advantage like i'm just gonna sneak by or maybe i'm just gonna intervene maybe i'll like fight the big daddy too since they're getting some hits on them i never knew if that actually made a difference i guess like are they actually doing damage or like am i still having to deal all the damage to the big daddy but at least the illusion was there <laughs> yeah <laughs> i feel like with what with like the the semblance of some RPG systems in there. I think they were doing something. Yeah. And that was kind of the core like, tenets. Believe. Like they were, uh, even in our cover story, like before the, all of those enemies had names, they were just referred to as like little sisters were gatherers. Uh, big daddies were protectors and the splicers were uh, aggressors. And that was the, pretty much the core pillars of how the AI enemy design worked. Like these all work in tandem. They'll, there's conflict within them. And then you fit in somewhere in the middle, you know. Uh, so I think it just made it feel more like a, a living world and not just like a shooting gallery. Like every room, they're all just going to be focused on you and try to blow your head off, <laughs> you know. Uh, I love the idea that like this big daddy's watching you, making sure you don't mess with the little sister. And he's not going to do anything until you shoot at him. And you're just casually laying traps everywhere, just getting <laughs> things prepared for the fight. He's like, huh, wonder what wonder what that guy's doing over there. Huh, and then it starts weird. and he's like, hey. Wait a second. <laughs> That's a good point. I would put the uh, the little tracker, at least I think in the second game, I would cover the big daddies in those little trap mines because they would just explode all over him. And he would just look like a disco ball, basically, because all his lights just coming yeah. off of him. 
that was my that was my pro tip i recommend everyone do that um to uh john to go back to rapture real quick yeah um you know we talked about how it was the space station for a while and you know the way they finally settled on the uh the final look the sort of art deco look was uh you know because they they had the time period of like we want it to be sort of a period piece uh so they you know like between 40s and 40s 50s early 60s so like when they readjusted that they had levels that had the technology of the time in the game but they uh still described the game as being very bland and brown i think one designer described it as like the an old school picture of the new york city underground like subway system yeah that's how it looked kind of like bricky and yeah just kind of gross and brown really just moving to the uh to the art deco uh art style really just flashed it up a bit um gave it a a nice a nice uh cohesive style uh gave it a unique look for really any game uh in that in that time period yeah and since Uh, really there even now there are really a lot of games that have used that or tapped into it apparently ken uh got the inspiration that by taking a trip to rockefeller center with his wife and you know he just looked around at the architecture which is all art deco and had that light bulb like eureka moment of hey this no one's really doing this and also it makes uh practical sense from a game design standpoint because art deco is very geometrical Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of squares and triangles which is really conducive to level design and 3d modeling i used to design games for school and i can definitely attest to that <laughs> like the more <laughs> angular you can make your item uh, stuff the the better it is to make uh so i yeah. I, I thought that was cool because i never thought about like the practical application of art deco but it makes perfect sense and the other thing was that they wanted to constantly remind players that they were underwater so like yeah you could look out the window and see it but since rapture was on the seafloor and because you know you're on a seafloor the seafloor shifts constantly, right? Yeah. Which makes building a city on on it a inherently bad idea. <laughs> and they wanted to get that point across because once they fe- realized that this was going to be more of a dystopia than a utopia, and they didn't have to worry about the practical reasons of like, well, how do we explain how this city is standing? And then we shifted to like, well, maybe that's the point. Maybe this was always a terrible idea, but these people were so confident or just like an expression of their hubris or like, screw nature we're man we'll we can conquer anything it's, it's a metaphor for the this. shifting of of men's priorities that there you go <laughs> <laughs> and so like they're like okay we'll have the city just in disrepair and mm. so that'll give us an excuse to basically flood every room so that people will always be reminded that you're underwater and apparently that was a whole undertaking itself like i remember reading our cover story there's a little blurb saying that apparently one person was in charge of the water effects for the whole game at least at the time they wrote that story yeah Uh, kudos to them like that was one of the (laughs) things where that that stood out in like the early demos of the game looked great yeah and even now playing it because it just like you know either you go into a room that's like half submerged or there's pipes bursting it just it made the city feel like it was being held together by like chewing gum and paper clips and a prayer it was you know you go yeah. especially when you go through those glass tubes and it's like cracked and water's pouring in you're like i feel like this is gonna pop <laughs> and, andrew ryan really cut costs when he was just building that place out um one one other technical thing with being underwater too is because you're underwater you're pretty deep down like 
the water gets kind of dark and murky, so you don't really need to see everything out. Yeah. In the in the city, so it kind of saves on uh, the the expensive uh, vistas if you're looking out a window. Like obviously, you can still see everything there, but yeah, it's toss a whale in there, a couple starfish are good to yeah, go. Yeah, put a whale in there. People will be happy. It's fine. <laughs> what do we do here, Ken? Put a whale put there. Some, some bubbles. Yeah. And, and and then with Rapture kind of being solidified, that led to Andrew Ryan's creation because like, okay, we have this we have this objectively horrifying looking place. Like you're in this city that has fallen, it's occupied by all these monsters. But even before that happened, what person would abandon their life on the surface to go live on the seafloor? <laughs> yep, right. And so they're like, okay, you would have to pitch someone on this. We need someone charismatic and also to have like a genuinely good reason to like who is the person that would do this was what Ken kept asking himself. And so enter Andrew Ryan, you know, his whole backstory is that, you know, he was born in the Soviet Union, fled to the States because he was not, he was anti-communist and it was pretty much just like a mega capitalist and, but also just rejected all the other sort of political systems that were in play. Cause his, his belief was that, you know, a person should be able to reap the full benefit of their greatness, no matter what, you know, morality, or you know government oversight none of those should be a hindrance to like pure advancement of you know how good you are and you know that led to you know the famous is a man not entitled to the sweat of his brow speech that you get in the beginning of the game because they designed that to be a pitch for not only in universe the people that go to rapture but also for the player because you know you're meet you see it for the first time and you're right. like oh, okay i see what you know, this this sounds okay. I kind of see where he's coming from. Yeah, I guess this is why someone would give up <laughs> living on yeah, the... Yeah, it's like, oh, it's pure freedom, but in this weirdly oppressive, like, city at the bottom of the ocean. But the idea... Don't ask what happens if you need to leave. <laughs> exactly. But the idea was strong, and that's another reason why they went... The, the Art Deco work looked, because Art Deco is really pretty, so like, you know, you get that mm -hmm. first, that famous shot of Rapture for the first time when you go down and yeah. you see it and you're like, this looks amazing. Like, what a cool place to live. Like, it's it's the visual uh, justification of, of the thing you just watched of like, yeah, this yeah. does look like a paradise. OK, yeah, I'll, I'll stay here. What's the worst that can happen? Right. <laughs> and so they get you on board immediately as a player. Like, yeah, OK, let's see what down here. And then, you know, you get the, the record scratch of like, oh, this place has seen better days, it seems. Yeah, yeah you get down here? there, a splicer's like trying to break into your bathysphere immediately. Uh, you have some dude on the on the comms behind you trying to calm you down and walk you through the situation. Uh, <laughs> yeah, not not a great, I mean, great first impression. Second impression, though, sucks. It's fun because uh, one of the... I like that he got the, uh, the bathysphere like working. Everything's gone, you know, to crap, and he's like, "We gotta keep that lighthouse working." Yeah, because we gotta keep that once they get down here. They're done. Make sure, make sure we've dusted off that banner uh, that says <laughs> "No gods, only men," uh, and uh, make sure that the neon lights <laughs> for the, <laughs> the bathysphere uh, entrance are working too. Uh, those are those are primary concerns of mine. Yeah, if I, if the Horizon series has taught me anything, is that lights will survive anything like they, any apocalypse or just being under the water like li the lights stay on in video game <laughs> buildings no matter what and i don't blame them because they're usually really pretty right i mean how are you gonna see where you're going if you don't leave the lights on 
I would, we need to discover the perpetual energy source that most video game <laughs> buildings have clearly tapped into to keep that stuff on. You know what's hydropower? A, oh, actually, yeah, you would think the yeah. whole city uh, would just run on hydropower, which I, it might. I mean, uh, Wait, you really don't hear much about how a, a Rapture was built outside of like Bioshock 2 gets into a little bit of that. In mm-hmm. the story, like there's the uh, the uh, Andrew Ryan amusement park that kind of has the presentation of like like a really general overview, like this is how we built Rapture. There's the uh, and I want to know if you guys read this. Someone in our Discord uh, pointed this out that the uh, Rapture novel that serves as like yeah. a prequel story to Bioshock that pretty much just covers uh, Rapture's creation and it ends, I think, right before the game begins. It came out in 2011. I have not read this book. Uh, have you guys read it? I own it. And I look oh. at it every time I finish the um, game, but I'm not very good at reading books. I know how to read, but uh, <laughs> I, I like I, playing video games a lot. No, I, I hear you. I buy books and they sit on a yeah. shelf and they do not exactly. get read. I buy them yeah. as they're decorative. <laughs> yeah, yes. And it's a nice looking look. book. So whoever in the Discord <laughs> said that, like, you got good taste in book covers because it's a good one. <laughs> one of my favorite I, books to look at. I read at. it cover to cover, uh, both both covers. Okay, uh, so yeah, I, I I guess recommend that if you want maybe a more uh, deep dive into how Rapture was built. I would say one of one of the uh, other early ideas that didn't make it into the game was that uh, Rapture was going to be run by uh, what Irrational referred to as savants, and they were yeah. going to be genetically mutated citizens. And one designers described them as kind of almost being like brains in jars. Like they would just be this collective intelligence that ran the city and you would fight a different one in each level. But then they basically said that was that's dumb. <laughs> you don't, yeah. How, like, how are you going to differentiate like different heads and different jars in each level? It's it's it wasn't going to work. It wasn't feasible. Yeah. And they thought it wasn't exciting. Too. It was like, oh, it's just. You're just fighting a brain jar. Um, but I think the the spirit of that sort of evolved into some of the, the Andrew Ryan like followers that you fight throughout the game, like uh yeah. Sander Cohen and and uh Dr. Stein Steinman, the crazy surgery yeah. doctor. Uh see so there's a little bit of that, but I thought it's interesting. And some of the other ideas that got cut were some of the plasmids, uh, which we mentioned before were the you know, the powers that you get in the game. You know, you got you get telekinesis, you get lightning bolts, you get bees. Um, but some of the ones that were even in our cover story that did not make it was uh, one called Speed Booster, which basically gave you super speed, which I would be curious to see how that would be applied in that those it's kind of lot. enclosed levels. The the yeah. speedrunner's favorite plasmid, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, you're just like the Flash, just warping <laughs> around, just past everybody. It's like, see ya. Wow. I never felt like I needed speed in Bioshock, so that's probably why. It's probably a good thing it got cut. I can't imagine using it. I, other you can't than even like running circles around. In I know you, you can't even I sprint. Can. I remember playing it and I was like, oh no, there's no sprint button. You just you have Maybe one that's speed. what it is. It's just a, a plasma that lets you press R3 to sprint or <laughs> L3. <laughs> one of the interesting ones I got cut was one called Sanctuary that gave you a protective bubble. And that came to be because originally the hacking minigames, uh, they weren't they were gonna be in game like it wouldn't take you to a separate menu so you were still vulnerable mm-hmm. to being attacked so the idea would be like oh strategically players will activate sanctuary to absorb damage as they're trying to put these pipes together but then once they shifted to doing the hacking as it is now they're like okay well this is effectively useless so we'll cut that uh there's one called teleportation which is probably pretty self-explanatory i wonder how that would have been implemented if you would have just been like in my mind i picture like nightcrawler just like 
poofing everywhere or something like that. It'd be pretty cool. <laughs> give me a sword. Give me blue skin. Let's go. Full <laughs> full nightcrawler. It just turns you into nightcrawler. That is the power <laughs> itself. Uh, and you know, mentioned the hacking mini games. Did you guys like those? Like on the on the pantheon of hacking mini games and video games, was that pretty high up, or did you not like them? Um, I do not like them. This specifically the water one. I um have never liked it, and I still don't really like it today. It just kind of ruins the pace for me. Um, I get why it's there, and it makes sense to have hacking, especially because money's not easy to come by always. But um. Yeah, it's just, I don't know, it's just everything comes to a halt for me whenever I have to sit there and, you know, I'm shooting, I'm in the middle of chaos, and now I have to, like, move some tiles around and make water flow. Also, I don't understand what this mechanism is. What are we, what am I hacking into, and why was it already displaced so much? I need answers, Ken. And you're like, what does this look like from, like, if you're looking at Jack doing it, what is he actually doing? Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) it's has little, little tiny tubes that he's just placing into the back of this drone. Yeah, they run into. There's like no wires. It's just like no. These are this is literally what this is. Apparently, watching him. Yeah, it's all LCL <laughs> liquid from Evangelion. Yeah, uh, I I like the the hacking in this. I I like it more than other uh, like lock picking mini games, and that's mainly because it has a like a visible goal that makes sense uh, instead of like trying to feel something out. Um, like like you would in. Uh, dying light uh like their their whole like lock picking mini game is is uh try to find the specific spot to to position your your uh bobby pin and then try to turn the key uh as opposed to here's a very visual puzzle solve the puzzle and i i just kind of prefer that for me yeah i'm probably in the middle i i don't hate it I'm going to preface the thing. There's no hacking or lockpicking minigame I genuinely like. There, there's never been one. I'm like, woohoo, I get to do this again. It's it's more like yeah. I tolerate some more than others. Is that probably the more the, accurate one. The best is the auto pick or the auto hack. And yeah, then, like it's like here's some yeah, money. It's done. Uh, exactly. That's, yeah, that's here's a resource. Um, but like I, I probably I rank this one in the higher up ones just because it is a little bit more involved and a little bit more of a puzzle it does get tedious like i agree with wes especially when you're doing them in succession like you go into a room that has multiple like oh there's two vending machines and a health thing i gotta hack all these like when it's like one every now and then i'll be like yeah i'll do it it can be kind of fun but when you gotta do three in a row it's like "Mm, i'm just rushing through this now (laughs) i just want to move on do they have auto hack in bioshock one or like Uh, a system to bypass it I th- I want to say yes. I don't remember. I know two had it for sure. Man, I because I think it was just you paid some money, like ten bucks, and it would just be done basically. Um, which was there is which was pretty fair because you don't get money that. I mean, you do get money often, but not often enough to where you'd be like, oh, I'm just gonna buy it every time. Uh, mm, yeah, like you still have to be pretty conscious about how you spent your money and for and really all those Bioshock games. So it's still yeah, if you're not like, searching every toilet, then you're going to be pretty broke. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Like in real life. Just, yeah, like real life. Yeah. That's, <laughs> every toilet's just another fountain to yeah, search. Just <laughs> fortunes under there. Uh, and yeah, it, so like that was, you know, it, it was all right. But the big story with this game, even after they got Rapture kind of figured out, um, yeah. there was a lot of conflict with the design. Uh, a lot of it, Ken himself. 
there's a quote from the lead programmer chris klein from uh eurogamer had a great write-up called uh let's see rapture league the true story behind the making of bioshock which i recommend people read great piece but he was talking about how they were working with a 200 page or 212 page long design document that had everything in it huge from like day one so it's like yeah uh, there's there's so much that they could and couldn't put into this game and then they wound up abandoning that or at least that iteration of it too and he said he said uh designing they they were designing from their heads and throwing it over the fence pretty much and that the development pipeline had gotten so backed up because of uh mainly between like the programmers and the uh designers were like he said the programmers had pretty much like a backlog of things they had to do and that was kind of spoon fed slowly to the designers but it took so long that by the time that like the designers request the tech to do a thing that they came up with and it would mm. take so long to get that back that they often forgot why they even asked for it in the first place like oh that's right you were making me this this weird thing that i needed that i may or may not need anymore um and then you know yeah you know ken himself you know there was there's been some scuttlebutt about him sometimes being difficult to work with because you know he's a guy that has a vision mm. this has become relevant again with his uh auteur his, yeah like Wes, you wrote the story about his his new story or not really his new studio because he's had it for years now but uh yeah. ghost story games yeah narrative legos brother and there was like a report yeah where are those at still building them it turns out (laughs) 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 and you know there was a report there from employees saying like yeah there's been some creative differences with ken you can be a little difficult to work with and reading this story it sounds like that's always been a thing i don't want to paint ken as like a monster and that's not even how this report paints him you know but just saying that you know he became a lot more hands-on on the design side and that caused a lot of friction between the two Um, there's another quote from uh, J.P. LeBreton, who was like the lead level designer, saying, at least trying to explain it, saying Ken's le- relationship with design gradually became an adversarial one. I think that the pressure Ken felt to deliver a successful blockbuster corresponded at many points in the project to his unpleasantness with the team. And that one of the central themes of Bioshock's development was the tension between our initial aim to make a spiritual successor to System Shock 2 and to and the need to make a very successful mass market console game. Yeah, there, there was a, a, a point that I believe that's mentioned in that piece where uh, Rational is designing a demo to uh, to show Game Informer of all places. I've heard and- of him. Hey, uh, I, I think people should subscribe to their to their magazine and read the the articles on their website. Oh, cheap podcast. Uh, hey, um, but they they were having they're having issues with uh, like enemy placements and like justifying like where some of them were going to pop out from. And someone had mentioned to, to uh, have them pop out like like cyber ninjas or something to to on those lines of like terminology and it sounds like ken kind of uh snapped at him um saying like i don't want to hear anything about like cybernetic ninjas i don't want to hear anything about this like we need to make something that's not system shock like that was too close to the system shock uh milieu that he did not uh that he was trying to train himself to get out of the the mindset of because that's the stuff that he was into that he really liked that apparently was not commercially successful uh, enough 
for for the for the publishers. So uh, his frustrations with not being able to do that stuff kind of boiled over uh, to the people, the other people who are working on the game and coming up with similar suggestions. Yeah, it was like this constant tug of war between how do we retain the systems heavy RPG stuff of System Shock that we love versus making a mass market first person shooter. Like there was the uh, the E306 demo that showed off a lot of the shooting side and that was apparently the point where Ken was like, that's what we need to shoot for. Like, no pun intended. <laughs> we need to make it a great first person shooter first and foremost because that's how we'll get them in basically, right? Like the shooting mm-hmm. will get you in, the systems and the story in the world will keep you. Um, and that, because even uh, they were talking about how in the beginning of the game, there was a lot more of the RPG and choice stuff pretty early. And they were worried that it was too front-loaded with that stuff and that it would scare people away because of how dense it is. And that was one mm. of the criticisms, maybe, of System Shock 2, was that maybe for some people it was too mechanically and systems-dense. So Yeah. There, but- there, were, there were things where, like, everything had a prerequisite on it, like, to, to use certain items, to get into certain places, to hack certain things. You would have to have certain abilities or weapons or items. And they had to strip most of that away just to make it make it an approachable game for uh, the mass public yeah and i can't imagine like that balancing act because i think i think ultimately the final product i think it strikes kind of a perfect balance of the two personally in a way that's pretty remarkable of like it is at least at the time it played as a really great action shooter but there was so much depth that, you know, either was apparent or you had to kind of figure out on your own a little bit that it, it separated it from other other shooters at the time. Mm-hmm. Like you mentioned, Wes, before the like, oh, wow, if I strike this puddle with lightning, it electrocutes people like stuff that like, you know, stuff that you would think in your mind, like this would work logically. And then you apply yeah. it in the game and you're like, and oh, it kind yeah. of encourages you to try it out. Yeah. Like you're. You do that, and then you're like, well, there's oil on the ground. What happens if I put fire to it? And then cool, you kind of cool discover all these systems. And Yeah, and as you get more plasmas, the game kind of builds on that. And I guess that was probably a very PC thing at the time, because you got Deus Ex and stuff doing things like that. So, But I, I was the, the dude on console who was like, yeah, same. how is this even possible? I don't even yeah. know video games can do this. What the heck? I do this in real life. Well, I don't do this in real life. Um, but <laughs> it's cool you, that could you, do it. you could do it yeah, in real life. You could yeah. go find a puddle. <laughs> and oh, no. it, it also made me, at least me, it made you take in the environments more because it made you more observant. Like you, if you knew you're just as like, this feels like an arena, I better look around, kind of take some notes about what I could use here in case people mm-hmm. start invading. Like, okay, I'll put... I'll lead them over to this puddle. I'll strike it. Maybe I'll put a trap here that maybe is near uh, some gasoline. And like, it's like setting up dominoes almost, right? Like maybe I'll yeah. hack some some drones, which was another thing that they wanted to have, like, you know, drone hacking and, and having them deactivating them or turning them into a, a allies. Like just player choice was such a big thing with this. I'm like, yeah. we want people to approach this game from a variety of angles and, and, and play styles so that you feel like, you, you feel like you're not doing the same thing as everyone else, right? Right. And the way that it, that it's built in it and it's portrayed even like at the beginning, like you're given a wrench at the start, you're given like your elect, your electric plasmids um and and a pistol um and basically you you have like your health bar, your uh like basically your mana bar for your plasmids and then you have your your guns and your ammo. So like 
all that's pretty easy to comprehend. It's like, oh, this this blue meters for my for my magic. This is like this is for my weapons. Like you could just play it straight like that. But like it has that that depth to like set all those traps and figure figure out those environmental uh, puzzles and 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 interactions. Um, that I, I feel like, like you said, Marcus, they really nailed that that uh, that balance. Yeah. Eventually, I, I say eventually uh, because it sounds like the last year or so of development was pretty rocky for this game. Oh, yeah. uh, there's a uh, like a focus group that that they tested the game with maybe seven, eight months before. Yeah, I think it was January of 07, it looks like. Yeah. And the game released in late August. So um, there there was quite a bit that came from that focus test that uh they had him play play like the first couple of hours of the game and people didn't know where to go from like the plane crash when you're in the water, like how to get to the tower um, or like they didn't know specific things. Like when they got into Rapture, uh, there was a there was a, apparently a uh, a tester who just didn't seem to know how to use a, a controller <laughs> or like was like it was like their first time using it. Having been a part of of uh, focus tests for different things before, I could completely see that uh, people are just trying to make make a few extra bucks. So they'll this they'll is a video game. Whatever. Yeah, it's a what now? I played Mario. Sure, I could play this. Uh, here's a 360 controller, ma'am or sir. And you know, there's while like there can be some confusion for like people who are pretty. Uh, like well versed with games, uh, even with, uh, with with this test, like there's nuggets of truth in in every complaint usually or or every criticism. So it was really coming down to finding out like what those issues actually were, and then working on resolving those and and making a, a better, cleaner game. Which um, it's it seems like they they did or or they they feel like they succeeded with. Uh, at least making the opening of that game more approachable for people. Yeah. Yeah. Plus, like, he wanted it to be the blockbuster. Like, he wanted the financial success that System Shock 2 wasn't. So, if you're aiming that high, you kind of want to, you know, make sure you hit every target, which includes people who maybe have never picked up a controller before. Mm-hmm. And so, if, if they're like struggling with something, you know, like, you don't, I, I guess you don't want to like build your game around someone who's very familiar with video game language. Like, we all know yellow on a cliff means we can climb up it or right. like there's things there's just language in games that tell you like go here and if yeah, you haven't clues. played a game before you know it, it is important for a game like bioshock to have those kind of clues which they have built-in ones like that and then obviously you've got like the arrows on the ground that also um help a lot yeah and you mentioned you mentioned it briefly john about like this needing to be a success because at this point the budget had swelled to like 25 million dollars like this was a big budget game for the time uh i mean it would still be today but for 2007 that was uh for for a new ip like a new ip that was a spiritual successor to a commercial failure (laughs) right right to something that like even like I was, I was very, very into games at that point. Um, like watching G Fork in my EGMs, like watching the One Up Show every week. Like super into games that I don't think I had heard of System Shock Two until like this game started coming out and people like started mentioning it. Yeah. So, so we go ahead. Sorry. 
Oh no, I was I was I was just gonna say uh so even even for me as like I'm I'm pretty well established in video games at that point, like if I hadn't heard of this this spiritual successor, like I don't think anyone else would have if unless they had played System Shock 2 at that point. Yeah. Do we know the history of the name? Because like it's a funny name if you are trying to go for financial success. Like Bioshock, it's it's like he wanted to get away from System Shock because you know it's the the failure financially. But he was like, I can't completely get away from it. So we're gonna use Shock to like let the fans know. But it's it's a weird, it's just a, it's an odd name to introduce as a new IP. Obviously, it's iconic now, but Bioshock yeah. is a very like, what does that even mean? Yeah, I I don't know if you did, John. I didn't find much specifically of like this is exactly how this came to be i the most i found was that it was you know uh, the shock is obviously a reference to system shock and they wanted yeah. that like and connection I, but not so much about like maybe the bio i think part i think the, the bio part was more so the plasmids and changing your dna structure and biology and biology and all of that stuff um and and just i think that's a that's a pretty uh, like that that name just stands out yeah. like bio bioshock is a is a strangely evocative term for something that doesn't mean anything see i always thought that it was like biodome not sure. ne- yeah. necessarily like the paulie shore movie of course that's what this I mean, was oh, this it is, should be yeah this is the yeah, artsy do, version of biodome <laughs> safety dance uh, exploding coconuts all of the whole deal <laughs> but like the Ethan concept Baldwin. of like yeah like you're in a you're underwater and you're living in a in an artificial living space. Yeah, that was kind of always my mind for like I guess that's what that means. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm not entirely sure like what the step by step origin of it was. But you know, in addition to dealing with focus testers, pretty much saying everything about the game was maybe gr- bad because like the, they thought the story was confusing. Like, everything they they were excited about, they were like, oh crap, <laughs> this isn't connecting with, <laughs> at least with these people. Another big concern was the Little Sisters themselves because there was a lot of controversy about the idea of like players murdering a, a child and you know, even though mm-hmm. they you know, when you harvest them it isn't like some explicit, like you're not like cutting off their heads or anything, but you're still killing the kids and they yeah, you know, it does say that, it does say as much too, like they yeah. do not survive the process of you ripping the slug from their body. <laughs> yeah, there was a uh, a lot of back and forth about, like, is this going to be a problem? And they weren't so much concerned about, uh, like, the game or like the game itself or players being upset. They were just worried if it would generate negative press that would overshadow everything else that the game was going for. Because they weren't trying to be edgy. They just, that was just part of the, they, the lore they, they wanted to tell. They wanted to avoid the wrath of Jack Thompson uh, after the... The whole hot coffee mod yeah, situation. This was, yeah, this was very much that era because uh, Jack Thompson, the government, getting its like recurring like, oh, let's put a lens on the video game industry that happens every like 10 years or so. Yeah. So, and you know, even though they had done it or had a similar like, I don't want to say child killing mechanic, but like it was <laughs> you could you could like harm kids and Deus Ex, I believe. Yeah, yeah, the, like that—that that was one of the things that they tested out. They're like, "Well, you can go to like open areas in in Deus Ex, and you can harm children there. So, like, if you could do it there, um, I mean, they they didn't want to like lean on that too hard, but yeah, that was, was a different that was like, time. Even that then. was a a line of thinking that they could go to. Yeah, All the details on the back of the box. 
Yeah. You can do it in Deus Ex, so don't get upset when you kill children <laughs> in this game. Don't worry Remember about it. Remember the time it. you hurt that kid in Deus Ex? We, we got it here, everyone. <laughs> I love whataboutism, don't you? <laughs> and, you know, that became a, uh, a big issue. And there's a great quote uh, from the Eurogamer story about um, the boss of 2K at the time. Uh, maybe he's still there, uh, Greg Gobi saying flat out, we're not shipping a $25 million product where players are punished for doing the right thing. And that was a mm-hmm. reference to where originally Harvesting the Little Sisters didn't reward as much Adam as Harvesting them would. And so they had to kind of ba- rebalance how that system would work. Because mm-hmm. again, they were like, hey, we're not, we don't want to compromise our vision. Like we're going to keep it as this, but we don't want it we don't want people to look at this game the wrong way. So we'll right. adjust that. Um, the other thing that they had to deal with was uh, as development kind of got closer to the, the finish line was uh, just finishing it. And this is where crunch reared its ugly head. Mm-hmm. Apparently a few months before it came out, that's when uh, Levine implemented uh six to seven day work weeks, which means you just don't go home basically that's super rough and yeah it sounded super rough uh there's a quote from uh and uh, you know this is it's is also amid all the i was like i don't say infighting but like you know a lot of those conflicts the creative conflicts were still very much happening especially with uh, the design team Mm -hmm. but you know that with people just being exhausted and just having this like the pressure of having to deliver a game that does all these ambitious things straddles that line between being uh, commercially friendly while still having the depth that'll draw in us quote unquote nerds <laughs> um, <laughs> that tells this very political and philosophical story. Uh, it was a lot for a lot of people. In fact, when the game launched, a lot of team members departed irrational. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, especially because the game uh, around the time that it was supposed to launch got delayed where 2K gave them three more months of dev time, which was a mixed feelings. It was like, hey, we get to polish this up, but also we are already exhausted from having to work every day. Are we going to have to do more of that <laughs> now? Right. Uh, so, yeah. Almost it's... assuredly, they definitely crunched more. I feel like in most of those situations, it's the company, you know, maybe Take-Two was like, or Take-Two, 2K, no, um, was like, yeah, they were like, we will give you more time so you can make this better. Um, and that'll be great. Then you guys don't have to crunch anymore and, you know, take all the time you need. And then meanwhile, back in the studio, it is like, cool, we have more time to make this good, but we're 100% probably going to be crunching for another three months now. So it'd be, I guess, exciting and then a pretty devastating blow. Go home to like your spouse and you're like, hey, good news. Game's going to be better. Bad news. You won't see me for three more months. Remember that vacation we have planned next month? And... Which, yeah. depending on how you feel about me, could be good news. <laughs> this is a true like, test good, of our relationship. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this would have been around a time that the, uh, what was the uh, the open letter, the mothers to EA thing happened? I think it was EA, the, oh. the letter where all the mom or the wives, I oh, should the say. Wives, wives yeah. The, yeah, the EA wives thing where they, uh, if you're not familiar, it was a bunch of spouses for designers at EA getting together and writing an open letter saying like, Hey, can you like let our husbands come home, please? <laughs> we haven't seen them in a long time. This is ridiculous. Yeah. It was really That's one wild. of the first, one of the first big, uh, like public outcries about crunch. Yeah. Cause otherwise it was generally seen as like a necessity in, in the industry. Like, yeah, we need to just 
race to the finish and make sure everything's like we're hitting our deadlines and everything's going to be. Uh, yeah, exactly. We, we need to make sure we, we get this in stores when we said we were going to uh, by any means necessary. Yeah. Under your desk, the 18 hour days, whatever it takes. Maybe taking advantage of enthusiasm a bit because, you know, oh, I'm working on this franchise I'm a big fan of or just working in video games is Candyland. So whatever yeah. it takes to get this to work, it's 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 <laughs> awesome. You know, I, I'm a team player, that kind of toxic nonsense, uh, you know, and it's always weird to talk about it now because, you know, you don't want to like ever like reward a game for like, hey, you uh, killed your employees, but the game came out great. Uh, yeah. Bioshock, Bioshock is certainly one of those examples where even before it came out, they released a demo uh, a couple weeks before it launched in August, and it was the fastest downloaded demo in Xbox Live history at that time. So they already had at least like one sort of like break of like, okay, people are into this, yeah. thank yep. God. Uh, and then you know when it released in tw- uh, August twenty first, two thousand seven, PC and Xbox three sixty, everyone loved it. <laughs> it was a <laughs> a critical masterpiece just yeah it was it, it you know much like elden ring is right now it was the elden ring of its day and i say that for all the kids out there of like <laughs> multiple perfect tens including from us at game informer uh i, I want to say it was game informer's game of the year in 2007 uh i didn't look that up but man I'll, that would be, that would be quite fight, a but... year to uh have that debate again 2007 pretty stacked but i i, I i'm pretty confident that it was it was yeah it was wesley yep. found it okay wow we have a really nice sh- handy list of 25 years of game informers we're pretty good at our jobs it turns out uh, yeah. <laughs> we look for occasions to write lists all the time yeah i'll give that a click and it was a sales success too you know it 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 didn't make nothing it was not a uh system shock 2 situation it was the third best-selling game of august of that month uh with i think it was close to five hundred thousand copies uh apparently the wall street journal had a story where it said take two interactive that their their shares leapt about 20 percent the week that it came out because oh. of the reviews <laughs> uh huge. yeah like this was a this was again we're seeing it now with Elden ring this is one of those rare games that were both a critical and commercial just blockbuster yeah, and it, it's kind of bittersweet, right? Because the game became amazing and was this, you know, and it's considered one of the best games of all time. But shortly after the game launched, like we said, there was a mass exodus at Arashto yeah. where everyone was like, "Hey, it came out great. That's awesome. I'm peacing out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm gonna go work on Rock Band or something. Yeah, yeah. like uh, Paul Helquist, who was the um, he was the lead designer on the game. He left about two months afterwards, and he he was one of the designers that had a lot of uh did a lot of headbutting with Ken Levine throughout this mm-hmm. uh, development. Which he he even went back in in the Eurogamer quote. He kind of reflected on that. So like, yeah, I was kind of a pain in the ass to Ken. Like I don't like it wasn't all his fault. Like I was kind of challenging him constantly on different things. You know, we're both passionate guys. Um, and you're spending seven days a week together. Like <laughs> yeah, you'd ex- you'd expect, like things are gonna get a little bit heated. testy. Yeah, JP LeBreton, we talked about before. He left along with uh, Jordan Thomas, who was a designer that came on the last year, and they went to go start up 2K Marin, who would develop mm-hmm. Bioshock Two a few years later. And I believe LeBreton, last I checked, it was with Double Fine. I'm not sure if he still is there now. That is where he went after 2K Marin. Right. And yeah. Bioshock, 
if nothing else, you know, uh, a literal <laughs> labor of love. Yeah. Um, in, in some of the worst ways, but also one of the best games of all time. Uh, so, you know, now that we've uh, covered the death history, we can talk uh, about the story a bit. Basically, you're playing as a guy named Jack who crash lands in the Atlantic Ocean and finds Rapture, mm-hmm. which is under, an underwater city that has fallen apart. You later find out there was a civil war there between two of the city's leaders, Andrew Ryan, charismatic founder, as well as a guy named Frank Fontaine, who was sort of the head of pretty much in charge of the atom in the city uh, with his with Fontaine Futuristics, where mm-hmm. they developed plasmids mm-hmm. and stuff. Um, basically, they both had opposing ideas about who should run the city and people pick sides and it all went to hell <laughs> and as as you know because all in the name of adam which again we talked about people being addicted to it and they tore the city apart and you you arrive there a few years later yeah uh most of the population is either dead or just splicers which are just horribly much, mutated <laughs> yeah because they've just used too much adam to where it's just disfigured them uh And you are contacted by a guy named Atlas over the radio who is your guide. And he's telling you to like, hey, help me out. My family's captured. I can't do it. Oi, help me out. Very charming Irishman. Sure, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, originally he was a Southerner. He was, which kind of creeped people out. <laughs> Even as early as uh, 07, because in the uh, that focus test, he still had the Southern accent. I think they said yeah. he was kind of like a Southern gentleman, like a foghorn leghorn type of voice. I want to hear that so bad. Yeah, I say, boy, I say, would you kindly go save my family? It's like, I mean, let's make sure I'm going to go back up to the surface, please. This goes back up, right? Yeah. It's going to get back in here. Uh and, you know, you go around, you kill Andrew Ryan's followers, he's telling you what to do, and then eventually you get to Ryan himself. You get a very famous scene where he pretty much spills the beans on who you are, and you find out that you are actually Ryan's illegitimate child who was born in Rapture, but as an embryo, you were sold by Ryan's mistress, unbeknownst to him, to Frank Fontaine, who then gave hand in, uh, you to his scientist, uh, who include uh, Dr. Tenenbaum, who's kind of really the only true good guy. Um, she's kind of looking for some redemption because she's also responsible for the little sisters. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, she's trying to turn over a, a new leaf, you know. But she and uh, uh, Su, Su Chong, Dr. Su Chong, I think he's the other scientist, they basically rapidly age you to an adult and then they ship you As up you to the surface and they they put some mental conditioning to you and you basically become like a sleeper assassin you're like hey we're gonna call upon you when the time's right and you're gonna come back down here and you're gonna win the war for us because you have gen- uh, ryan's genetic dna so you can get into all the places that he can and that's gonna be real useful for us but we'll we'll let you know and turns out andrew that trigger splicer. <laughs> andrew splicer <laughs> oh winter splicer, oh, splicer. Okay. <laughs> yeah pretty much that was the alternate name for bioshock actually um <laughs> <Splicer>. <laughs> and it turns out that uh trigger phrase is now one of the most iconic video game phrases of all time is uh would you kindly and there's a whole story about how that came to be apparently uh jp lebreton he claims that he came up or he came up with the general mind control Mm. mental conditioning plot element for the story he has a quote in that euro gamer story saying that 
I thought that those 1950s era subliminal messages seen in movies like The Manchurian Candidate would be a more novel way to restrict the player's access than tr the traditional locked doors and keys. The idea was that Atlas had this conditioning, something into the player's uh, character biology, which he could be controlled. And then that evolved into Paul Helquist, who was the lead level designer. He came up with the idea of making it a single phrase, which was originally Excelsior. That's how Stanley used to run Marvel, actually. Everyone that worked for him was mentally conditioned. When he, when he said, give me more pictures of Spider-Man, he ended it with Excelsior. That's how he got us all to read the... He conditioned us. That's how we all became Marvel fans. You read the, the editor note, and he's like, Excelsior. And you're like, I, I have to buy more of these now. I will check out Howard the Duck. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Excelsior evolved into... Uh, I'm going to mispronounce this, but uh, Sido Maiori? which translates Perfect. to I yield to a greater person. But then those were abandoned because they thought that was too obvious that it would tip players off too soon that Atlas was not to be trusted. If, if anyone knew Latin, yeah. like it would, they would be tipped off immediately. Yeah. Or, or someone would probably, right? like, yes. Cause like, yeah. why does this guy keep saying this Latin phrase to me? <laughs> he's just <laughs> talking to you very nicely. And then he's like, just randomly spouts a Latin word. You're just like, get, get on your brand new iPhone that only has a web browser on it. No apps yet. Cause those didn't exist yet. It'd be really weird for this Southerner to keep saying this Latin word to me. I probably, <laughs> I, I would get, I would raise some eyebrows. And so apparently it wasn't until 2006 for E3 where, uh, Ken Levine was, uh, he worked up the marketing tagline that said, would you kill people, even innocent people, to survive? And the would you part of that stuck. And that was turned into would you kindly, which, you know, it's interesting replaying this game because, you know, at the time, nobody called this. I refuse to believe that anyone called this <laughs> twist when Bioshock came out, because uh, how could you really? Um, but it's fun going back to it and knowing that because you hear it a lot more now that it's you know everywhere. what to look for. Like you hear it, like Atlas yep. says it like three times within the first it's, 30 it is within, minutes. It's within the first 15 seconds of the game. They uh, so when when you're when you're on the plane, uh, Jack's talking about like his his family and how his, how his dad said that he's going to grow up to be a great man. And uh, he's like holding a gift in his hand and the gift tag says, would you kindly not open until and then like the, the date is, is blocked. But I'm guessing that's the initial trigger that got him onto the plane yeah. to then uh, crash next to Rapture, which is which is unthinkable <laughs> like that like mm -hmm. that, that, you, that you would be able to catch that immediately. Well, I mean, no one would catch that immediately. That's. Yeah, you see it, but you don't it's think wild. of anything of it. And like yep. every time Atlas says it, it doesn't sound out of turn. It's like it's like an old timey way to ask for stuff. And this game takes place in the it's, early 60s. And he's it like, just a, sounds very polite. It's just a very yeah. polite way of asking. He's like, a very charming Irishman. You're like, yeah, yeah I'd exactly. buy that. He would say that. <laughs> it just doesn't stand out, which is w why it's so brilliant. Uh, it's like a subtle uh, trigger phrase. Yeah. Honestly, um, even if you thought it was like a weird phrase, you're like, huh, why does he keep repeating this? I don't think your mind would jump to, this must be brain control. I must be the embryo of one yeah. guy who's talking to me or something. Like, you'd just be like, huh, it's weird <laughs> that he keeps repeating that, but whatever. I'm just trying to help his family. It's just uh, really nice. Quick, yeah. Quickly going back to the, the part when you were talking about how Levine was saying that in, in games, if you could see the, the bridge to Jersey, like, you should be able to go there. 
the the whole would you kindly mind control portion is their narrative justification for not allowing your character to go certain places in the game because you are being directed specifically to go and do these things by atlas that you aren't allowed like your your character's body cannot physically open those doors like it's it's impossible to mentally break those chains and and go where he doesn't want you to go yeah that's a good point that's again a really smart like just smart all around really <laughs> that idea and even just um because i was wondering at the time and i think it wasn't until you know the the reveal happens they played a montage of every time he says it because you wonder like well why wouldn't he just say that all the time to get you to do exactly what he wants and he realized like well no because he had the perfect cover story of you know hey like you're stuck here anyway right and you know mm-hmm. he's a really nice guy and he's saying like hey i just got to find my family i know this sucks like he he sympathizes with you like yeah, yeah. when he's like you know you're i know you feel like the most un- unlucky person in the world but like we can help each other out like he's saying like well if you help me i'll help you so there's really like no reason to not trust him in yeah. in in light of everything else that's happening around you right he's so the he doesn't one really extending a hand to you yeah. yeah, and he's right. So, like he's he's calling the shots correctly. He's telling you where to go, and you do survive, and you are alive. So you're like, I'll just keep trusting this guy in my head. Yeah, and that makes it more interesting when you the times he does say it because he only says it when it's like something dire. Like the first time you get mm-hmm. a weapon, he's like, "Would you find? Would you kindly get this wrench?" Because he's like, "No, you gotta, you have to live." So, <laughs> like, <laughs> I need I'm you. not gonna chance it of like you reacting too slowly to this. I'm just gonna hit that button now. Uh, so like the, just the placement of when they decided to use that, like not, not even on top of like, maybe not saying it enough to where players go, hold on a second, but also <laughs> where it makes narrative sense, I think is another testament to how well written this game is. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, so, you know, you find out that Atlas is actually Frank Fontaine, the, you know, like we mentioned before, the other side of this war who, you know, you kill Andrew Ryan or rather Andrew Ryan kills himself because he orders you to kill him that's true and that's where he drops the very famous you know a man chooses a slave obeys because he's choosing how to go out on his terms so he's like i still win ha ha um and that's the other big twist right like oh the guy that we thought was the big bad he's gone like halfway through and now you get the the true reveal like this is the guy we got to worry about um, well, I guess, you, you know, not that Andrew Ryan was an angel by any stretch. He was actively trying to kill you throughout the game. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you, you, you meet Tenenbaum. There's a there's a point where you uh, become a big daddy or you wear the big daddy suit, which is a nice little, uh, I guess, foreshadowing for where the sequel would go. Because uh, there's like that undersea segment, I believe, right, where you're like exploring Rapture on the outside for mm-hmm. a little bit. Uh and then we get to maybe the only blemish on this game, which is that final boss fight against Fontaine, where he uh, mutates himself into a blue superhuman guy. And just a big blue blemish for sure. It's not a critically acclaimed uh, first person game if or first or one player game uh, without a, a big blue boss at the end. Yeah. yeah, this is one of those games where like I'm I'm of the mind that I don't think all games need a final boss fight. In fact, I think especially in the last few years, I think most final boss fights are just bad or just okay. There's rarely a great one. Yeah. 
And this was one of those games where, like, you know, maybe just a final sequence would have been fine. A, a series of of Big Daddy fights or something like something, something stressful, but maybe. not a specific uh, <laughs> a specific named boss might not be appropriate. It's yeah, such a like, weird one, too, because like what what is the like what is he even trying to do? Like, what is his goal now after he defeats you? He's this giant big blue guy navigating around Rapture is going to be really tough because you have to you're, you're like nine feet tall. Like what? Why? Why did he? He's going to be like Lady Dimitrescu, like dipping under the doorway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this this thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he didn't think that part through. Yeah, he was. It would have been a great moment where he kills him. He's just like, I did it. Oh, crap. Now, uh, this, is, this doesn't yeah. wear off, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> or would he have just died? Like, would he have survived with all that Adam in him long term? I don't know. It's an interesting what if. You know, yeah. would he have just passed out like an hour later? Like, oh, my heart he stopped. He could be a sea slug now. It kind of yeah. feels like they, like, having read, or Ken having read Atlas Shrugged was like, okay, Andrew Ryan, and Rand, that's perfect. That image on the front of the cover of this book, I can't get out of my head, that dude holding up the golden ball, what if we just have the boss be that? And then he, like, wrote <laughs> a way to get there, and you're just like, okay, that's, I guess that perfect. works. Cause that's the part of the game that feels like the commercial side crept in, of like, yeah. we gotta have a final boss, right? <laughs> Yeah, what do you mean what the if, game just ends on a nice note and your little sisters are grown up now and happy? What? That doesn't make sense. What if Atlas shrugs at the end? <laughs> shrugs it, it, heavily It's Jack as he turning dies. to the camera going, <laughs> yeah, it's a living. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, like you, you alluded to it. So there's two different endings for this game depending on what how you dealt with the little sisters. If you never killed any of them if you decided to save all of them then you get a really good ending where uh jack's living on the surface and he has adopted several of the little sisters he's rescued them from rapture and they grow up into nice little girls and they live a normal life and and dr tenenbaum is narrating this and she's like real happy for you she's like, yeah this is great jack what a swell guy i can't believe him wow you watch him die too right or am i thinking of they two, you die or... and they like they're like, they're like gathered around, around you, around yeah. you. yeah. So, you know, it's still pretty nice, right? the, the Eve out. They're like, they're, Adam. <laughs> yeah, they're just poking you, with, <laughs> poking you with syringes like monsters. Full of it. <laughs> you saw him inject the plasma. We didn't forget. And that ending is important because it is the canonical ending for uh, Bioshock Infinite Burial at Sea, which is the Bioshock Infinite expansion that we'll talk about later. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you kill even one little sister you will get the bad ending where jack just does a heel turn and just goes on a rampage <laughs> and and rapture just killing all the little sisters and then eventually the u.s navy shows up like one of their submarines they find rapture and they're carrying nuclear weapons and you get a scene where like bathyspheres start like surfacing around the the submarines and splicers come out of them and they get attacked and then tenenbaum is is narrating this and i didn't notice till i looked it up um because i've only seen this once on youtube around the time it came out but apparently depending on how many little sisters you've killed her voice is like harsher when she's narrating this like if you killed one or two she might be like a little annoyed like god damn it jack but if you like murdered all of them she's like pissed basically (laughs) like she's like screw (laughs) this guy (laughs) like i can't like just completely denouncing you basically 
Um, but Jack, basically, it's implied that he steals the submarine and the weapons. And, you know, it's like Tenenbaum's like, oh, crap. Jack holds all this stuff. What's going to what's going to become of the world, basically? What what music do you think plays? All right. Uh, not now. What music do you think plays? What music? What wrestling music do you think plays uh, as the bathospheres are are coming up and surfacing? I imagine it's Mark Henry's music, and it's just <laughs> somebody's going to get their ass kicked. <laughs> somebody's going to get their wig split. So I thought of like the Nexus theme, like. Oh, sure. We are one, we are one, we're unstoppable. Like, you know, you're the with us or against this, is what the Splicers used to always sure. say. <laughs> and, you know, they did tear up that sub like the time the Nexus tore up that ring. That's um, right. One of the Navy guys got choked out with his own tie. One of, one of, yeah, one of, and then one of them got fired. One of the Splicers <laughs> got fired. Wesley is in, very confused right now. Back into the I company know. three months later, it is one of the best uh, Splicers in the world. You said wrestling themes, and I only know uh, of one and that would be john cena's and i just don't know if that would fit thematically with the uh the you just hear trumpets out of nowhere <laughs> that's the thing wesley is that john cena's theme fits for everything it does that's it true really, that's it's true really about atlas it's all hustle it's all loyalty it's all respect that was the tenets <laughs> that rapture was founded on actually right. yeah exactly it makes sense that will do but yeah that is a that is the story of bioshock and i think that brings this episode to a close like we said uh if you if you somehow have not played bioshock yet um do it yeah 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 like you uh, know too much uh but it's still worth going back to like (laughs) exactly (laughs) seto amari um it's still a great game one of the best games of all time even if you've like if we spoiled it for you somehow uh it's worth revisiting because rapture again as a location it is top tier still to this day there's very few settings in video games that feel as magical or as haunting as that game is and and being there um still some of the best writing in video games some of the best world building uh just it is a it is a master class in game design on, on many levels uh so you know they did that remastered collection that has bioshock one and two yeah. uh for ps4 and xbox one uh so that'd be it's the re- best way to play it it's readily available on, on it's also on pc too so like yeah, yeah. uh any, anywhere title too at some point it's on it switch <laughs> like it is everywhere you can play this on any console pc whatever like find it or is it still on uh iphones i know it was back in uh, college i don't know I don't know if that'd they, be the greatest version right now. No, it, I don't think so. I would, I, I, would think, I would imagine it still is. I don't think they would take it off. I really like this series and the Bioshock Twitter. I was in class one day. It was like 2016. It lit up for the first time in like two years or something. And it was just like an image of one of the Eve um, advertisements. And it was like, are you ready to come back? And I was like, oh my God, are we like a sequel? Are we going to go back to Rapture? So I'm like freaking out in class. I'm not paying attention at all. And like uh, a couple weeks later, it's just an iOS port. And I was like, I'm so sad. You ran <laughs> out of class and jumped into the ocean. Like, I'm coming. Go. I'm coming for you, Rapture. Got a plane ticket. I'm just going to keep flying over the ocean. And my nice sweater my on. Comedy or the cockpit. Crash us. <laughs> just go all the way. Dad always it. said I was going to be something. I was going to make something of myself. You asked the teacher, would you kindly excuse me? I have to get to Rapture. I just got this text. (laughs) Um, uh, Yeah, this is an amazing game. One of the best ever. Uh, Uh, And if you want to experience this in a different way, uh, 
Netflix is uh, developing a movie currently That's right. for Bioshock, which was the that was the inspiration for doing Bioshock uh, as this series. Correct? Yeah. Yeah, it was. It was a uh, I don't know. We we don't really know much about it. I don't think they've said if it would just be a straight retelling of this game or if it's just yeah. going to be set in a different time. Like we know it's going to be Rapture, I believe. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we're still, it's still really early. We, no one's been cast or anything. Uh, so I, 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 I uh, who do you get as Andrew Ryan? Uh, you get, oh gosh, what's his name? Um, there's a, uh, American horror story, the hotel season. What is the Evan Peters? Oh yeah. Evan Peters. Is, oh yeah. Probably what he, in WandaVision. He's basically Andrew Ryan. In that yeah, season. yeah. Well, he's playing that that dude who who actually built a hotel with a bunch of uh, stuff. Yeah, in it. yeah, with a bunch of like hidden rooms and shoots oh, yeah, and stuff which, so he can murder people. Wow. Oh, this is a uh, I don't know who you're talking guy, about. This is yeah, Quicksilver. Gets, yes, Quicksilver. Yeah. yeah. The, the guy that built that hotel is in. He is the inspiration. No, he's in a book. Oh, I wish I could. The Devil in the White City, which is inspiration for Bioshock Infinite. Mm-hmm. big circle that i just made there but um <laughs> yeah it should be evan peters yeah uh so yeah the the, the real guy's name is hh H. holmes uh that that he's based on and yeah he's uh wikipedia is just naming him an american con artist and serial killer and the subject of more than 50 lawsuits in chicago alone weird to lead uh, with con artists and not the serial killer part uh, you know i mean <laughs> one leads into the other uh in yeah. this case um Going back to the the Bioshock movie, I'd have to assume that it has to be a, a post uh, fall Rapture if that's what they're going if they are going with Rapture as opposed to like the the lead up. I feel like the lead up would be more of a TV series, uh, like exploring the different characters and uh, their relationships more so than the mystery of like why is this place falling apart and why am I here and what's my place in all of this. Yeah. So, I say. And it won't happen because I don't think Netflix could convince him to do it. But Daniel Day Lewis would be good. Oh, that would be good. That's like yeah. the bingo card answer because he can kind of play anything, really. <laughs> He's kind of shown that, in like, you know, like I don't know who could play this guy. Like, it, uh, Daniel Day Lewis could probably do it. But I think of like him and like, um, like there will be blood or even like uh, Gangs of New York, like playing a really charismatic villain. Yeah, I think he, he, I think he could nail the scenery. Perfect. Um. Why? Why not just stay in the Ryan house and uh, go with like a Ryan Gosling? He kind he can kind of do that. Forties, fifties, sixties, industrialist, uh, like billionaire look. Give the dude a mustache, and I, I think he could probably knock it out of the park. Yeah, just I mean, his character from La La Land, and he's really yeah, upset he, that the world he, doesn't like jazz, so he builds. Yeah, a he's under under the sea. <laughs> he invents jazz. Yeah, sea jazz. <laughs> or just go with Dan, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. He's already played literally true, Howard, true. Howard Hughes, who Andrew Ryan is based partially off of. So. Yeah. Or, uh, God, what's what's his name? Jesse S- Eisenberg? Uh, no, Jesse Simmons. Simmons. He he mm. played. He was in uh, Breaking Bad. Oh, tell oh, a uh, 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 Jesse like. Jesse, Jesse Jesse from Breaking Bad. <laughs> no, 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 not 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 that not him. Uh, why why can't? Oh, oh Jesse Jesse Plemons, excuse me, yes, Jesse Plemons. Yeah. I'm getting I'm and, getting him and and uh, 
another another character actor confused but yes, yeah Jesse the guy is. you're my Aaron Paul that's why I thought you're my Aaron Paul yeah let's take this episode home this was fun guys great start to this uh season yeah this was definitely not the second time we had to record this episode appreciate you guys being here this was awesome um I want to open it up to you guys the listeners um feel free to uh hit us up I would love to hear feedback or if you have any questions that you want us to <laughs> yeah. answer about uh, Bioshock, or if you have any corrections or anything you want to add, hit us up at uh, podcast.gameinformer.com. Uh, make sure you men- you know, put video gameography in the subject line so it doesn't get read on the GI show and you confuse the Alexes. Um, yeah, I want to hear from you guys. You know, Some of you are already in our Discord channel. We have the video gameography uh, channel in Discord. So mm-hmm. uh, shout out to everyone that hangs out in there, hits us up with uh, feedback. Uh, keep it coming. Love you guys. Um, but yeah, hit us up. Want to hear from you. But otherwise, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Marcus Stewart7. That's the number seven. And then uh, I am on Twitter at John underscore Carson. And I'm on Twitter at LeBlancQuest. And you can find all of us at GameInformer.com. Hell yeah. Dang right. Alrighty. And until next week, we're going to be talking about Bioshock 2 next time, which I'm really excited to discuss. I think that's a really interesting, maybe the most interesting one in the series. Of yeah. Sort of the, yeah. Forgotten, Black Sheep, whatever you want to call it. But that'll be a fun <laughs> one to unpack. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so until next week, guys, we'll have a real Circus of Value. That's me. I'm the, I'm the Circus of Value. And I'm the Big Daddy. <laughs> big daddy is out Bye. keep keep being big daddies out there just keep, keep swimming big daddy in keep drilling all of the above <laughs>